So if you would, if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 91, and I'm going to entitle the message, El Shaddai, The Refuge We Trust in Perilous Times. So we'll read Psalm 91 here in just a second. So I want to begin by saying, I talked last Wednesday night, we began by saying that according to 2 Timothy 3.1, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And I would say, you know, it's pretty obvious in light of Friday night that, you know, that terror attack on Paris, those days are here. And they've been here in a lot of ways. And so I would ask you, what was your initial reaction when, when you first heard the news report? You know, was it fear? Was it dread? Was your thought, you know, what about my kids? What about my family? What are we going to do? You know, we had the Fox News Channel. Once we heard, we had the Fox News Channel on. This was pretty soon after it happened. And, you know, just reporting the facts they knew were bad enough. But when you listen to Shepard Smith, he, he didn't just leave it at the facts because he kept saying things like, this is unprecedented terror. And then he would add on, this is the new normal that we're going to have multiple ta- attacks happen simultaneously in a city. And I'm saying he's really speculating on that. He doesn't know. But when you keep listening to those kind of reports, it can produce fear in you because it's not very comforting. And especially if you got your children listening to that and they're hearing what all's going on, they keep hearing all this negativity. And it's hard for little kids to differentiate the fact that this is all happening way far away versus it's just happening right next door and can be on top of them. So really, like, it's not like we don't want to know what the news is, but there comes a point you've got to just turn that off because it just starts affecting you, especially the way they will report things. You can get a lot of facts just on websites and Internet without having to listen to all the speculation that goes with it. And so you just need to let your kids know God is in control, and he promises to protect us. And that's a good time to get the Bible out and read Psalm 91. But when that news report comes, the question that we need to ask ourselves, and we want to ask ourselves today is, where does your heart, when you hear that, seek to take refuge? Is your first thought, is it about the military, the United Nations, homeland security, the CIA? Or if that ever happened around me, I've got my loaded pistol in my drawer. I'm saying, where is your first thought of refuge and security when that happens? And so if you listen to Fox News and and Shepard Smith all night, you're going to have a troubled spirit. You're going to be troubled inside. But I think at some point, the righteous, we should pull out our Bible and see what the Lord has to say, what the Almighty has to say, and take our refuge in Him, shouldn't we? So let's compare the Fox News report, the CBS News report, the MSNBC report with God's report. What's his report? How does God tell us to deal with terror and the thought of terror and the threat of terror? So let's start reading. Psalm 91, beginning in verse 1. It says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver you, thee, from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, 
and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, your habitation, then there shall no evil befall you, neither shall any plague come nigh your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You will tread down the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shall you trample under feet. And here God speaks personally to us. He says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And verse 16 says, And with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. What a great, positive psalm. I mean, there is nothing negative in that psalm, really. For a Christian, a believer, a saint, a child of God to read, that's just a, a comfort for troubled times. It should be, if we believe what it says, a comfort for troubled times. And this psalm breaks down in this, this way. You have the first two verses. That's the wisdom of experience speaking. Well, we'll look at that. In verses 3 to 13, here is from that person of wisdom. They're given instruction because it starts talking about you. In other words, this is what you as a believer can expect God to do for you when you trust him. And the last three verses are a personal pledge from the Lord himself. What he says, how many I wills do we read there? A lot of them, at least seven. So verses one to two, like I said, that's the wisdom of experience speaking. And what he's telling us here is what we just heard from two brothers. This is telling us, this is who this psalm applies to, because it doesn't apply to everybody. And this is who it applies to. Verse one, it says, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High, that person shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And that word for secret place, it's sometimes also used for the tabernacle. So it gives you a sense of a place where a saint will commune with God alone. The secret place, that's the root of that word. It means a secret hiding place. And it's saying that person that spends that time communing with the word alone, that's how they get to know the Lord. That's how they get to know how to trust him. And it's a place where the cares of this world are shut out. You can shut all that out. You can shut all those negative news reports out. And that's where you can commune and spend time with God. A place where you can get quiet from the noise of the world. I talked about that. And it is hard in this day we live in with cell phones and beeps and whistles and all that constantly going off. I mean, you go to a restaurant, couples don't even talk to themselves a lot of times. And if they can't talk to themselves, you think they're talking to the Lord? So we need to just set that stuff aside as hard as it is and spend time, he's saying here, in that secret place where the noise of the world, the fear of the news reports, as I said, and the cares of this life, they're quieted in the presence of God Almighty. And it's where the fear of gazing at Fox News gives way to the confidence that comes from gazing at our Lord in his glory and his majesty. That's where it happens. So if you... Put something there in Psalm 91 and turn back a few psalms to Psalm 27. 
That's what David said. This is where this secret place is. And here he does talk about, it's the same word, the tabernacle. And this is where we will find comfort in time of trouble and direction. So Psalm 27, beginning in verse 1, says this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. He says, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, when they come upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. And though an host should encamp against me, what does he say there? My heart shall not fear. Though war should rise up against me, he says, in this will I be confident. And here is why, verse 4. He says, one thing, and one thing only have I desired of the Lord. And he says, that will I seek after. And haven't we heard this today? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And what's going on there? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, his secret place. Because look in verse 5. For in the time of trouble, the times that are coming our way, what does it say? He shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And so that's where this fear comes on us. We hear about this terror. It just brings it up, doesn't it? And the way you deal with it is you get with the Lord. You see the Lord for who he is. You get quiet in your fears. You see that he's the one we can trust, the almighty God, the El Shaddai. And that's how we should look at our situations. And how many of us did that? I mean, it's easy to just sit there and watch that news going on all night long, and they will feed you information all night long, they will, and a lot of it just starts getting repetitive after a while, you know? All right, but let's see a situation where this actually acts out. So you hear a report that puts fear in your heart. How should you deal with it? Well, we got a case in the Bible that that is exactly what happened. And we'll see how they dealt with it just like this psalmist, just like it, in Psalm 27, just like we're told in Psalm 91. And so turn to 2 Chronicles 20. And we'll get back to Psalm 91 here in a minute. 2 Chronicles 20. And this is a familiar story, but let's read it in light of what we're talking about this morning. Story of Jehoshaphat. 2 Chronicles 20, beginning in verse 1, it says this, And it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and them other besides the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. And then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There comes a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria, and behold, they be Hazazon Tamar, which is in Jedi. And what does it say, Jehoshaphat? He's a human. And what is his first reaction? It's not necessarily wrong. It says, And Jehoshaphat did what? It says he feared. But then what is the next thing he did? Because he was a godly man. It says what? He set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, it says it how many times? They came to seek the Lord. And that's what we should do in times of distress and trouble. Whether it's terrorist or any kind of distress and trouble coming in your life. As a saint, we should seek our refuge and seek our help from the Lord. He is our help. 
And it says in verse 5, Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God, here's what he prays, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven? And don't you rule over all the kingdoms of the heathen? He's not giving God any information he doesn't know. That's one way you increase your faith in prayer. And in thine hand, is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God? who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gave it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend, forever. And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name. If, when evil comes upon us, as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, if we will do this, if we will stand before this house, and where? In thy presence. For thy name is in this house. And in doing that, and cry unto thee in our affliction, he says, then, Lord, you will hear and help. And he points out, here's what we're facing in his prayer. And now behold, look, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, this is how they're rewarding us, to come to cast us out of thy possession, which you have given to us to inherit. And he says, O oh Lord God, will thou not judge them? For we were powerless, and we're powerless against these terrorists, aren't we? We have no might against this great company that comes against us. Neither know we what to do. I'm not sure what to do, he says. But we're looking to you. Our eyes are upon thee. And we talk about you worry. Your concern would be for your family. I'm sure people in Paris, they're concerned about their little kids. Hey, maybe I could survive this, but what about my children? And look, look what he says, verse 13. And all Judah, they stood before the Lord, looking up to him. And it says, with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And they're saying, we got trouble coming. We got big time trouble and terror coming. And our eyes, though, Lord, and with their little ones, they're all, can you just picture that? God's looking down. And here's all these families of Judah looking up to him, saying, we don't know what to do. We're not sure. But our eyes, we're looking to you to help us out. And that's living out what we're reading here in Psalm 91. Look what he says in verse 9. If when evil comes, as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, and we stand before thee in this house, in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry to thee in our affliction, he will hear and help. In that secret place, that is where God will hear us and help us. We have to be there like we've heard. So go back to Psalm 91 if you would. You have something there. So look what it says there in verse 1. He that dwells in that secret place of the Most High, that person, he shall abide where? Under the shadow of the Almighty. What an image. You've got the shadow of Almighty God has cast his shadow over you to protect you. El Shaddai. Now, that wouldn't maybe mean as much to us with our houses and air conditioning, but if you lived back then in the Middle East and that sun is blazing down on you, you appreciated any shade you could get. Because just think about the story of Jonah. Jonah got a little upset when that gourd he was under died, didn't he? Got upset enough that he lost his shade that he says, I just want to die. So when they're hearing that they are under the shadow of the Almighty, that's going to speak to them. That's an image of that shade that protects them from dying, from withering under that heat. And he's saying, you spend time with the Lord and that's where you'll be. You'll be under that protection. The all-powerful God, this is telling us, will give protection 
to all of those, anyone in this room, that will abide in his presence. But listen, don't you have to be near an object to get shade from it? And that's what he's saying. And that's the same picture we get in 1 Peter 5, 8. It says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And when you're under his mighty hand, he says, then you can cast all your cares upon him, like we sing the song. And one time I was praying, I had one of those vision, whatever, when, you know, I'm not big on that kind of stuff, unless it's for real. But as I was praying about something I was really concerned about, I just saw that God's hand was over me as I humbled myself in prayer and was submitting this situation to him and saying, I'm looking to you to help me. You're under his shadow in that way, the shadow of his hand. And that's where our protection lies. We've got to stay there under that shadow, have our lives right, seek him. And so when we humble ourselves like Asa and seek almighty God, I say we come under that almighty hand, that almighty shadow to cast all our cares on him, all these concerns, because we'll know then he'll take care of us. And he will, won't he? Amen, he really will. So it goes on in verse 2, the wisdom of experience. That's what's speaking here. says, because I know that this works, I know what I'm telling you is the way it is. He goes on to say, I can say this. I will say of the Lord. He is my refuge, my fortress, my God. In him I will trust. Notice he doesn't say God is a refuge, a fortress, does he? When you abide under his presence, guess what that enables you to say with confidence? Hey, I know something. I'm not guessing. I'm not hoping that this is going to work. But I know he is my God, my fortress. When you know that, then you're joyfully saying, in him I will trust. Glad to be doing it. Amen? Don't be one of those guys always trying to buy an amen. <laughs> well, listen, we think we need the military to be our strength and our help and our security. Well, listen, he's using military language here. Refuge and fortress, that is military language. You don't need a military. God's all the military we need because you think about it, what's a refuge? It is a basic need for animals and humans when danger threatens. Isn't it? Even animals, they, they got their little holes they'll run in as soon as you get close to them, right? We're the same way, a place you want to run for protection when danger comes. Isn't that your first thought? You know, when those people in that stadium, they realize, man, in these seats of these stadiums is probably where the bombs are, so they want to run for a refuge. And where did they all run? Into the grass. Because it's unlikely they got a bomb buried in the grass. That was probably the safest place to be. And so that's a person's natural reaction. And so where do we run for refuge? He's saying God is our fortress. That's where we should run. He's, he's being pictured here as the ultimate refuge. Because in ancient Israel, the people weren't all living in the city. They'd be out there farming on the countryside. And when an invading army came, they ran where? They ran into those fortified cities. They ran into those fortresses for protection. And when they get in there, what would it do? It'd bring them comfort and relief and a sense of safety, wouldn't it? And God's being described as a supernatural fortress like none other. And so when you're abiding in his presence and spending that time with him and knowing that you're under his shadow, that's going to give you a peace and comfort like you'll get from nothing else. Because militaries come and go, nations rise and fall, and same with economies. But like we heard, God is always the same, isn't he? He is. He really is. We can trust in him. 
a fortress we can put our trust in, safe in his everlasting arms. How does this apply to us? So if we want to know that the Lord is going to be that to us, what do we need to be doing on a regular basis? When we receive those news of dangers and see those news reports, and we want to know that we have a place we can dwell, that we're safe, we have to be where? We have to be spending time in that secret place of communion with him. And then we'll have that peace and assurance. But there's no shortcut. That's the thing. This psalm starts this way because this is the key. If this hasn't taken place, none of the rest of it's going to work. So we've got to start here with spending time with the Lord. You know, there's a brother in here. He got some bad news that came his way. And his first reaction, what he did was, I know this, he didn't just worry and sit around and fret, but he spent time seeking the Lord, fasting and praying and making that his priority for days on end until he had that peace and assurance that God would deliver him. And that's what we need to do. You can't, we can't wait till trouble's here because one day it'll be too late, right? And guess what happens when you do that, when a person does that? That assurance comes and it is going to work for him. You know how I know it's going to work for him? Because it worked for King Asa. And King Asa's nothing special because there was a lot of bad kings. But if it worked for him and it worked for Judah when they sought the Lord when trouble came and God, I didn't go through the whole story, but we know the end. He supernaturally delivered them, didn't he? And that's what he'll do for us. And we can know that he'll do that for us. So our security and our comfort in these end times, as we started off saying, when the perilous times come, our security and comfort is going to be in proportion to our consecration to the Lord, to how much time we're spending in his presence, seeking him. Because we gave that scripture in Zephaniah 2.3. Here's what I want to encourage everyone in here. We've got time. The bombs aren't dropping here. We don't have somebody shooting us up in this room right now that everybody's panicking on how to get out of here, do we? And so what did we read when we read Zephaniah? He says, before this happens, before the Lord's wrath, before trouble comes, whatever the trouble is, it could be physical, it could be terrorist, it could be financial, it could be whatever. But he says, before that happens, now, what does he say? Here's what we read, Zephaniah 2.3, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness, and it may be, we're talking about that secret place, and it may be you shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. He'll hide you under that shadow of his. So there's still time. We'll seek the Lord. He will hide us within the walls of his supernatural fortress. He goes on, the psalmist does in Psalm 91, I guess we're there, in verses 3 to 13, and he says, based on my experience, I'm going to tell you, this is what, because it's all you, the or you, if you got King James, they don't, they don't like to use you, it's the, but it means you. He's saying, this is what you can expect, God to do for you, the Almighty, El Shaddai. And look what he says in verse 3, surely he shall deliver and listen, the way you've got that surely is, is because he's emphasizing there, it's God himself. In Hebrew, they don't put the pronoun first unless they're wanting to emphasize something. And they did in this sentence here. And that's where he's getting that surely from because the Hebrews reading he himself. So the translators are saying surely he, but it's saying God himself will be the one to deliver you when you abide in his place. He is personally going to see 
our protection. The Lord himself. Surely that emphasis. And he says, he goes on to say, he cares for us how? Like a mother hen cares for her little chicks. And look at verse 4. He himself will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall trust. He says he'll put us under his feathers and keep us from danger, shelter us from danger and ill will. You think about a little chicken. My mom and dad gave me and Joel a couple of those one Easter, you know. They, Joel ended up killing them, and I'm going to school crying, smothered him to death one day. They don't know a thing. They're like a little pea brains running around. They don't know what they're doing. They're totally naive and helpless, aren't they? A little chicken, there's nothing to them. Put them in your hand and squeeze them or smother them like my brother did and kill them. But they're helpless against their enemies, aren't they? They are. And without that mother taking them in under their wings, you know they would be dead in no time, wouldn't they? And God's saying that's the way we are. He's saying we need him to help us and keep us like birds from the crafty snares of the fowler. The fowler was a bird hunter. They deceitfully set these traps and put these nets with these bows underneath those nets and tempt those birds to go in there and get that food. And all of a sudden, bam, it's, it's closing in on an unsuspecting bird, that snare. And look what he says. Surely he will deliver you and me from the snare of the fowler, God himself. And that word deliver means to snatch away. So here's that trap. We're like those dumb little chickens, and we go into something thinking, oh, yeah, not understanding what this situation is. And God Almighty, who is up sovereign above all, can see what's going on, and he reaches down there and pulls us out right before that trap was going to get us. That's what he's saying. He, will, he says, surely he will deliver us from the snare of the fowler. Snatch us away. So look, not too far over, turn to Psalm 124, and look what it says there. Hmm. We need the Lord's help, don't we? We really do, because there's people out there, terrorists and other people, that are wickedly plotting against us as his saints, and we need his help, believe me. And look what the psalmist knows that. Look what we have here in Psalm 124. And we'll go back to Psalm 91 here in a minute, but it says this. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel, or I would say Shelbyville say, if the Lord hadn't been on our side, verse 2, if it had not been the Lord who, he says it twice, who was on our side when men rose up against us, if God hadn't helped us, what does it say would have happened in verse 3? Then they would have swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters had overwhelmed us, the stream had gone over our soul. Then the proud waters had gone over our soul. But look in verse 6, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as a prey to their teeth. And look what he says in verse 7, our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Why, verse 8, because our help is in the name of the Lord, the all-powerful who made heaven and earth. We've got him watching out for us, and when these snares are laid, he is going to take care of us. And so how many times in business dealings, personal relationships, and I'm saying even in the spiritual realm, who is the King Fowler? Who's behind all these, anyways, any of these problems? It's the devil. So sometimes he's using people in their wicked schemes and plans, and sometimes he's literally just attacking you spiritually and setting snares for you. And God has his ways of delivering us out of all of those. And that's what he does. But we're back to the key. What's the key? It's spending time with him and knowing him. 
And so he does that literally. Literally in the Bible. He'll do it literally and spiritually. And, you know, in Acts 23, we had that story there where it says certain Jews got together and they bound themselves to an, on an oath. And what did they say they did? They said, we're not going to eat or drink until we have killed the Apostle Paul. But here's how the Lord works. What did it say? His sister's son, his nephew, somehow happened to be there and heard what they were going to do. And so he goes and tells Paul, hey, these guys are out after you. They're going to kill you. And Paul says, okay, listen. Calls over one of the centurions. He says, you need to take this young guy to the chief captain to talk to him. And here's this whole story. God's hand is in it. So the centurion takes him and says, this young man has something he wants to say to you. And this guy, for some reason, takes the boy by the hand, it says, and leads him over and gets him away from everybody else and talks to him privately. He didn't know what that kid had to say. But in doing that, he kept anybody else from hearing what was going on. And that little boy said, hey, they're going to kill my uncle. You know, you need to do something about it. He's like, all right, I think I will. So what did he do? He, he protected Paul. And guess what? Paul did not get killed. And God delivered him out of the snare of the fowler. And I've always wondered, did those guys ever eat a meal? I've always wondered that because it doesn't tell you. I mean, one day, I guess we'll find that out. But that's a blessing, right? God orchestrated that whole event. And what does that tell us? There's people out there, are there not? These terrorist attacks we hear, are they not orchestrated events? And can God not deliver us when we're trusting him? I mean, that's why those stories are in the Bible. That's why Psalm 91 is there. We know how our God, what he'll do for us when we trust him. You know, he could cause us to get delayed in traffic and have to take another plane, and that's the one that blew up. Not like you're glad a plane blew up, or just a lot of things, you know. You get done eating at a restaurant two hours before they come in there and do whatever. Or he can cause fear to come all these guys to where they don't end up doing anything, and it would have affected you. I'm saying we don't know how God has done that for us how many times. He's delivered us, and sometimes we know, and sometimes we don't know. Well, we'll find out a lot more probably than we realize you think to yourself, man, I don't know, just, you know, all that stuff you're saying, it just sounds like preacher talk. It's easy for you to stand up there and say and all that. It is pretty easy for me to stand up here and say it. But you're like, what you're saying is, is that really a reality? Is that really something that happens to people outside of the Bible? Well, yeah, there, there was a man and a woman, Derek and Lydia Prince. This was a few years ago. Brother Hamilton, he's one of his favorite preachers. He's a very smart man. He's really good. He was spirit-filled and a great preacher, but yet he had a very simple faith in God. He married a Danish woman, and they were in Jerusalem when it became a nation in 1947. I mean, they were right in the middle of terror and trouble as Christians, and they're doing the Lord's work there. So they had adopted eight girls who were a mix. They had some girls of their family were Jewish, and some were Arab. And so they've got this mixed family of girls living with them, and they lived in a mixed Arab-Jewish neighborhood in Jerusalem. But it became very dangerous for them to live there. And most of the Jewish people that lived in that neighborhood got out and moved out. But they stayed in their home, the princes did, because they thought, well, we've got Arabs and Jews and we're Christians. Why is anybody going to mess with us? That's what they thought. So one morning they're praying, him and his wife, they prayed together frequently. And they're praying one morning and this word comes urgent. They get this word urgent that Derek, Prince, is witnessing that dad is talking about the safety of his family. And then a word came to him from the Lord that none shall be lost or scattered. And he's like, okay. 
So they just went, him and his wife just rested in that promise and what they heard and went on their day. But later that day, they're praying. And as they're praying, one of their daughters, Joanne, is coming home from a piano lesson. So she'd gotten delayed in getting home, and by the time she's getting home, it's dark. And as she approaches the house, she sees this truck out that has Arab soldiers in it. And she sees the little boy that wasn't part of their family that lived in the lower part of their house. He's out there talking to him. And so she's sensing something's not right here. She went up to the second floor, and they had a veranda, and that veranda went out to where it would have you right over top of where they were having this conversation. So that little girl didn't say anything to her parents. She went up that second floor, and she crawled on her hands and knees and got out to the edge of that veranda, and she's listening to what they're saying. And here's what she's hearing. She's hearing that boy tell those soldiers. He's telling them who lived in that house, how many of them lived in that house, how many of the girls were there, how many of them there were, what kind of things the princes owned that some of them were Jewish, some of them were Arab. She hears him tell the soldiers, look, the British, they send their patrols out, but by midnight, they're done. There's no more patrols, which means there's no more security for the princes in that house. She's listening to this. They're down there praying. And this verse comes to Derek Prince while they're praying. Psalm 91, verse 3. I have delivered thee from the snare of the fowler. Happens while they're praying. And right after that, the little girl comes in the room. She burst in the room, and she tells them the story of what she had just heard. And so they knew they had heard from the Lord and that God's hand was in this. And they knew if they stayed there, they were going to be in dire trouble because a truckload of those soldiers were going to come back, and they would rape the Jewish girls and pillage their house and probably kill them. And so the entire Prince family had to pack up everything they could pack up in a brief period of time, and they got out of Dodge before those guys had a chance to come back at midnight, which they probably came back and found a house that had all the possessions but no people in it. Isn't that story a lot similar to what happened with Paul? And that's what happened. God delivered them from the snare of the fowler. And I'll tell you, I think things like that, we walk with the Lord and Seeking him, spirit-filled, that's going to be a common testimony coming in these last days. I think it will be. And God promises if we just dwell in his secret place, he'll deliver us out of the snare of the enemy. And he goes on to say back in Psalm 91, look what he says there at the end of verse 3. Surely he will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler, but it also says there he'll deliver us from the noisome pestilence, which that means a deadly plague. In verses 6 to 7, it talks about the same thing. He says, nor for the pestilence that walks. He puts feet on it here, that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. We don't have to be afraid of that. He says, a thousand can fall by thy side because of a pestilence, and ten thousand at thy right hand. But what does he say in verse 7? It shall not come nigh thee. So let me ask you, do we need to live in fear now we've talked about the terror thing but do we need to live in fear of some deadly incurable disease that comes to this world that they can't cure they have no cure for let me just ask you that who is the source of all this wasting disease and plagues who's the source of it do we remember who the source is you can get too much biology in you and you struggle with this but if you would Turn back one book, I think it wouldn't hurt us to look at this, to Job 2. We need to remember who's the source of this. It's a supernatural source. And it says this beginning in verse 1, And again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, 
And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil? And still he holds fast his integrity, though you moved me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man has will he give for his life. And the devil says that the Lord put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Well, look what the Lord says back to him. But the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is what? He is in thine hand. Because God is not the author of sickness. He said, But save his life. And look in verse 7. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, and he's the one that smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. You say, well, Job was a righteous man, and you said no plague will come nigh your dwelling, and he was smitten with a plague with all those sore boils. And God doesn't say you might not be smitten, but what is his promise? Did we remember what we read? He said he will deliver you. He'll deliver you from the plagues that come your way. And guess what? He delivered Job. You got to read the end of the book. He was in misery for a lot of chapters, but in chapter 42 at the end it says this, so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. And did Job suffer the rest of his life? Oh no, he had his trial. And it was a severe trial to test him. Had to get some things worked out of his heart. But listen, it says after that, after he turned to captivity, Job lived 140 more years. And he saw his sons, his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died being old and full of age. That means he didn't die an old cripple full of boils and sores and scabs or whatever. He died healthy. God restored him and delivered him. Because what? The devil was the source of that. That wasn't a blessing from God, was it? It was the source of the devil. And we need to remember Acts 10.38. I'll say this to the cows come home. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. That is the source of sickness. So listen, AIDS is still incurable. Up to this day, they do not have a cure of AIDS. And it's nothing to play with. But do we need to live in fear of that? Do we need to walk around in fear that somehow that's going to come nigh our dwelling? And I think there may be many more plagues like that that come to this earth while we're still around when he judges this earth. God promises to send that judgment on the wicked and not his people. We've got to remember that. We really do. You know, where I go into prison, there's a lot of sickness there and a lot of bad sickness. I'll put it to you this way. So I don't take it lightly. I wash my hands when I come in there and I wash my hands when I get out of there. Well, I'm going to tell you, the other night, I'm talking to this old guy, and he's got a major health problem. He's got a list that long. And he gets up close to me, and he spits. He didn't mean to. He spits right in my face. So I didn't panic. I let him keep talking, but I didn't lick my lips. <laughs> but I'm knowing this guy is not doing good at all, all right? So I didn't panic, and I didn't worry, but I went back to the bathroom, and I washed my face, all right? So I could be like, oh, yeah, I don't have nothing to fear. I'm going to drink this deadly poison. No, but also I didn't sit there and I wasn't like, man, I'm going to die now, you know, and I did wash my face 
Lisa, before I got home to give you a kiss when I got home. I took care of that. But we don't have to worry about it. We really don't. God will make a difference for us. We have to trust that, don't we? And so turn back, if you would. I know we're turning to a few verses right now. Not going to be as many here. But if you would, I think this is another one I think it's important to see. And it's a scripture we know. But let's, again, look at it in light of what we're saying. Exodus 15, if you would. So my point is this noise and pestilence, this deadly plague. And they'll be around. They've been around. And he says, we don't have to worry about it. So look in Exodus 15, beginning in verse 25. And Moses cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And as a result of that, there he, God, made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And here's what he said, verse 26. Here's the conditions. Here's this abiding. If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and if you will do that which is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, look at this promise. He says, I will put none of these diseases upon you. That's you and me. None of them, he says, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. So why does he bring them upon the Egyptians? It's judgment. And does he say we have to be worried about that? Do we see that? He says, I will put none of those that I put on them in judgment upon you. Is that pretty clear? I think it's really clear. And why he ends up by saying, I am the Lord, your healer. He is our healer. We do not have to live in fear of everything that's going on around us, these plagues and diseases. Read the list in Deuteronomy 28. We don't need to live in fear of that. Pretty clear promise, isn't it? So just because it's in your family, just because it's in your neighbor, just because it's in the news, doesn't mean it has to be a part of us, does it? It really doesn't. So back to Psalm 91. He says, A thousand will fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand. But he says, It will not come nigh thee. And here, here once again in verse 8, we see that difference. He says, Only with thine eyes. In other words, you're not going to experience it. You'll just see it. Only with thine eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. But verse 9 says, Why is that? Because you have made the Lord which is my refuge, even the Most High, your habitation. So he's saying, once again, if we will just do that, then we don't have to be the ones experiencing the judgment of the world that is going to come. And listen, here's another thing that I think we need to know about this, <laughs> that he says it won't come nigh your dwelling, because if plagues do come on this earth, if illnesses do come, there may come a time when we're called to minister to those that are dying of incurable diseases. And if we're so worried about our life that we can't help those and minister to those that are sick and dying, and maybe that's the way we have to share the gospel, or it might even be you know, other believers that you know that need help. And so I'm saying there may come a time that Christians may have to put themselves what would be at risk in the world's eyes. And I'm saying, do we have the faith for that? Would we really have the faith for that? Look in verses 9 and 10. He says, Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation, no evil, he says, shall befall thee. And look, we've read it. And what does he say? No evil shall come nigh thy dwelling. Thy habitation. And Charles Spurgeon, back when he first became pastor of a church, he was a young man in 1854, it says. In the neighborhood he was in, it, a plague hit there. Asiatic cholera came. 
And he said family after family summoned him to come to the bedside of those that were afflicted. And he said almost every day he had to do a funeral. He had to visit the grave as a pastor. And he's having to be around this. What, what is he going to say? No, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to die. I'm not going to help you all out. I'm not going to help those people in his church. And he said he was sent from all corners of the district by people high and low, even the rich. This, you know, disease like that doesn't stop because somebody's poor. And he said he just gave himself and his zeal. He visited all the sick, buried all, prayed for them, everything he had to do. And he said his friends, it seemed, were fallen one by one to this cholera. And he says, I was ready to sink under it. He said, I had a burden. I felt like I was coming down with it too. Felt this burden. And listen to what happened. Here's what the Lord did. He said he was walking along and he stops at this shoemaker's business. And there's a handwritten sign sitting in the window that he reads. And here's what it says. Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall you, neither shall any plague come nigh your dwelling. And here's his words. He says, the effect upon my heart was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage as her own. In other words, he said, I made that my promise. That was a promise to me. God, he believed, directed him that way. And he said, immediately I felt secure, refreshed, and girded with immortality. And so a new strength came into him, and he said he just went on with his ministry, visiting the sick and the dying. He said, now in a calm and peaceful spirit. And he said, from there, he said, I felt no fear of evil. And he said, I suffered no harm. And he's not the first one. I don't remember where the story was, but John G. Lake had the same thing. People dying of the bubonic plague, and he was ministering, praying for them, and burying people. And never contracted it. In fact, a doctor put it on his hand. They put his hand under a microscope, and the, it was literally dying. They could see it under the microscope dying, because he was saying that the presence of the Spirit of God was killing the work of the devil. But they did. They buried thousands of people in South Africa with that bubonic plague, and it didn't affect him. And we may need to have that kind of faith. Do we have that kind of faith? Do we have that kind of relationship with the Lord that we'd be willing to do that? Because like we said back in verse 4, God will put us under his wings. Is it not what it says? He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings we can trust. He'll keep us safe if he calls us to do that. He'll keep us safe while we're doing that type of a ministry. And we just would have to trust that he does. This old hymn, it's entitled, Under His Wings. I like the last verse. It says this, Under his wings, oh, what precious enjoyment. There will I hide till life's trials are over. Sheltered, protected, no evil can harm me. Resting in Jesus, I'm safe evermore. Amen? We just got to get under his wings. That's where we need to be. And so down in verses 11 and 12, what do we read there? Here's is our, tells us about our heavenly bodyguards. For he gives his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Not just an angel, but plural, angels. <laughs> because some of us probably keep a lot of them busy. And we probably need more than one. You know, a lot of times we pray Psalm 91 when we're traveling, but... It's not then. It says he'll keep you in all of your ways, right? So not just when you're traveling, when you're climbing a ladder, as that old Carl Sykes song goes, when your children are out playing inside and outside. How many times have we heard of God having to protect our children and watch over them, right? <laughs> and even when 
His song says, my wife when she's cooking. And you're like, well, what can happen to a woman when she's cooking? Well, I, I heard a testimony of a guy, his robe caught on fire and burst into flames while he was cooking. And, you know, you could get seriously hurt. You just don't know. It's good to know God's watching out for us no matter what we're doing. In all of our ways is what it says. <laughs> so how many times we've heard testimonies of God keeping us safe from harm? And I'll tell you when. Caleb, I've seen, I don't know how many of you have seen pictures of his car that was riddled with bullets. And I mean, if you don't believe in Psalm 91, look, I'll show you the pictures on my phone that he sent me. But he was, he was using about four promises out of Psalm 91 and driving down that road. God protected him. The snare of the fowler was heading his way. The terror by night, the arrow that flies by day, God had to protect him. And his angels had to be watching over him. I could show you the bullet patterns. One hits the back of that seat where he was sitting, the, the headrest, and just stops and goes that direction. I mean, praise God. That's our God that'll do that for us and watch out for us. So that's something, listen, just we need to be praying that, like I've said several times now, over our families and ourselves every day because the devil comes when you least expect him, doesn't he? These things come unplanned. And so every day, we can't take every day for granted. We need every day to be consciously putting our trust in the Lord and asking him to protect us, to deliver us from evil. That's part of the Lord's prayer, isn't it? That we should be praying every day. But the best part of this psalm is right here at the end. Verses 14 to 16. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore, God says, will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So he starts that off in verse 14. He says, you just need to set your love upon me. And what does he mean by that? I think he's talking about the people like Enoch set their love upon him. It says Enoch walked with him daily. He walked with the Lord. And the ones that set their love on him are willing to obey when the world laughs at them because of what they're doing and how they're trusting the Lord. Like Noah, somebody like that. Or trust him when things seem crazy like Abraham did at 90-some years old, trusting for a baby. And those that love him enough, as we've been saying all morning, to seek his presence and to seek his face. Like Moses, he spent time out there and he died healthy full of strength, hadn't lost his strength, and his eyesight was perfect at 120 years old. David, we read about Asa and Elijah, and the list could go on about those that sought God's face in his presence, and he blessed them like he's saying here at the end of this psalm. Because he gives special privileges to those kind of people. All the I wills that we read, seven of them, seven I wills, God says, if you do that, you set your love upon me and seek my face, I'll deliver him, I'll deliver you set you on high. I'll answer your prayers when you call on me. I'll be with you in trouble. I'll honor you, show you long life, satisfy you with long life, and show you my salvation. When I read that, honestly, that for me is a challenge. It's a challenge to my faith. Because this psalm is one of the most positive portions, like I've said, of the Bible that you would read. Now, it has conditions, and we've gone through the conditions, right? But the pledges that God makes to a person that will meet the conditions, to me, they're incredible. They really are. <laughs> Tremendous. What should we hear from the beginning of this service with the word to now? What should we hear? What is God calling us to do? He's calling us as a church as, and individually to start. Let's walk on a higher plane. 
Let's get to where we're spending that time with him like we know we should. Maybe you are, but if you're not, let's, let's make it to where we're seeking him, putting him first. Praying like we should, spending time with him so we have that confidence that when we read a psalm like this, Psalm 91, we can say, that is my God. He'll do that for me. He wants to bring us to that sec so he can bless us in a special place. Just dwell in my secret place, the Lord is saying to us. Spend time seeking me. Set your love on me supremely, and I will bless you, deliver you, answer your prayers, bring you to a ripe old age and a satisfied life. And you say, man, I just don't know very many people like that. I don't know very many people that I ever see that die well. <laughs> well, I do. I can think of some. I can think of more than one. I can think of one that was standing where I was standing not too long ago that died well. Brother Hamilton, he didn't die as a sick man. The Lord just took him, didn't he? And took him how? Took him in peace. The guy said there was no struggle going there. And I'm saying, there's an example for us to follow, right? That is how God will bless a person that seeks him and puts them first in your life. Someone that's walking faithfully. So we don't have to die of sickness, do we? We really don't. And there's others. Smith Wigglesworth. I don't know how many of you have read about him or his biography. The great healing evangelist, spirit-filled, sold hundreds if not thousands, supernaturally healed. And he's one of those few faith guys that was big time that actually walked with the Lord. Because every day he would read his Bible and spend time in prayer. Didn't want to read newspapers, didn't want to watch TV. His neighbors said they wanted nothing to do with him. He said, they won't come to my house because all I do is talk to, to them about the Bible. And they don't like that. That's it. But he said, you know what? When their kid's sick or they're sick, guess whose door they knock on? Smith Wigglesworth. Didn't have a lot of friends, but he had friends when they were sick. But God blessed him as a result of that, right? He died at the age of 87 in perfect health. All of his teeth were intact at age 87. Because he didn't get candy from the room back there like all the little kids did. <laughs> you know how he died? He died while attending a friend's funeral. And he breathed his last right there. But like I said, that was his daily lifestyle. It's what we're talking about. He daily spent time in that secret place. God was everything to that man. He really was, and he could be everything to all of us. George Mueller. Did everyone know who George Mueller was? The one that built the orphanages and exercised faith? And that guy, it was a lot more than the orphanages, his life. There was a lot of wisdom in that man. He was totally sold out to the Lord. Didn't start out that way, though. I got a book that'll tell you how God had to deal with him when he was a, became a young Christian, and he learned some lessons, and he wrote a book to share that with other young Christians. Anybody who wants to read it, let me know, and I'll get you a copy. Be glad to do it. But that man lived to be 92 years old, George Mueller did. And listen to this. This is what he said shortly before he died. He said, I am a happy old man. Yes, indeed, I am a happy old man. I walk about my room, and I say, Lord Jesus, I am not alone, for you are with me. I have buried my wives and my children but you are left. He says, I am never lonely or desolate with you and with your smile, which is better than life itself. Now, I want to be able to say that. I don't care if I make 92, but I want to be able to say that at 85. I'd be happy to say that at 85. Not that I buried my wife and kids, but that I'm a happy old man. <laughs> but listen, here it is. I'm saying, saying, God, we read this Psalm 91, and that sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? Like there's got to be an explanation other than what it says. And I'm saying it means what it says because we have examples that it is exactly what it says. But there are conditions. But listen to this. On his last day on earth, George Mueller, 
He told a friend, he says, I feel really well. I feel good tonight. He led the prayer meeting at the orphanage that night. And after it was over, he went up to bed, walked upstairs like he normally did at 92 years old. So the custom was he would go to bed and someone would bring up and they would put a biscuit, which is what they eat in England, and a cup of milk on this nightstand of his that was a little walk away from his bed in case he wanted it. So he went to bed and apparently they know it was around five or six in the morning. He decided he's going to get up and eat that biscuit. And so in the process of getting out of his bed and walking over there, the Lord took him and they found him laying on the floor the next day. But he didn't die sick and feeble. <laughs> and here's what he wrote at 90 years of age. Listen to this. He says, my voice is stronger than it was 69 years ago and my mental powers are as good as ever. But I'm telling you, if you ever read about this man's life, he is communion with God and his spirit, his gentleness. And he had a glow. A guy went and talked to him when he was 90. He said, this man had a glow about him. that You could just tell he spent time with the Lord. And that's what we need for ourselves, isn't it? And we can end our lives that way. And we can be ready for trouble when it comes. Because we'll know that we live in the shadow of the Most High. Long life will I satisfy him. That's three cases, and I could have given a lot more. And show him my salvation. So let me just end by asking the question again, who is your refuge? Who is your first thought to turn to in perilous times? When you hear that bad report. And who's got the message for the terrorist threats? Is it Shepard Smith or is it El Shaddai? I think it's El Shaddai. And I'd like to just end reading this psalm. We'll end with this. We can all say this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And so because of that, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this psalm, this Psalm 91 that you've given us to show us that we can trust you as El Shaddai, the all-powerful God that we can rest under your shadow, in your wings, that you'll protect us and keep us. You'll deliver us from the wicked devices of men and from the snare of the fowler. We can trust you in that, Lord. But I also ask, Lord, for all of us here, that you'll just impress on us, Lord, that we need to spend time with you. Spend time with you in that secret place so that we can have that confidence and assurance that you will be there for us, that we can say you are my fortress, my rock, my God, and in you, I will trust. And we just thank you that you will do that for us, and you'll do that for us as a church. And we thank you for the work that you're doing in us now, Lord. And we just pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.